So I want to ask you this morning, uh, do any of you like to be insulted? Anybody? It's like, you know, really what I, I want to sign up for is a good insult, right? Like, I think this could be the new thing, right? Like, you know how they have those places where you pay money to go and break stuff now? Like, you could, you could pay money to just go in and have somebody insult you. Like, so whoever wants to take that idea and run with it, you'll probably go bankrupt pretty quick, right? Because none of us like to really be insulted, right? Like, we don't like that. Uh, we, we, want, we want to feel good about ourselves. We want others to like us. We want others to say good things about us. Um, like, that's kind of who we are as people. Um, but the thing about insults is that they only really hurt in so much as they are true, right? Like, you know, when you're a little kid and another kid insults you or whatever, and, you know, they say, well, your mama's so fat, then blah, 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 whatever, and you're like, no, I know my mom. She's not fat. Like, that, that doesn't hurt me. Like, that has nothing on me. Now, if your mom is fat, then you might go cry because your mom's fat. Um, but, you know, and so like it's only, it only hurts in and so much as it's true. Well, here um, in Luke, we're, we're continuing where we left off last week. And last week, Jesus really starts insulting the Pharisees um, because he's speaking the truth to them. He's telling them the truth um, about who they are and how they've operated. Uh, we're in Luke chapter 11. And uh, we're going to pick up uh, today in, uh, in verse 45. And in Luke eleven forty-five, it says this, One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And so it's kind of like, well, if the shoe fits, you know, because Jesus is just speaking the truth. He's saying, here's, here's what you've done to God's word. Here's what you've done to God's people. Here's how you have perverted things. Here's how you have messed things up. And these guys are like, well, hey, in saying that to them, you offend us too. You're insulting us too. And Jesus is like, when he actually goes on and he says some more things about them. But first, who, who are these people? Um, you know, my translation here says lawyers, other translations say scribes, um, but the point is, these are, this is our group of people, they're not in the Pharisees group, um, but they're a group who see themselves as the keepers of the Old Testament law, and the ones who convey that truth to everyone else, um, to let everyone else know what God's will is, and what His Word is, and what His law is, and so these are a group of people um, who have taken that title upon themselves, that they have that responsibility um, to convey that to others, and, uh, and they don't like being insulted, just like we probably don't like being insulted. Um, and just like to us today, we, we would rather um, feel good about ourselves, and we would rather uh, hear good things about ourselves. Um, but the struggle is, and this is, this is a struggle for pastors, uh, when you come to, to preach God's Word um, to people, uh, there's a temptation on one side uh, to kind of just tell people what they want to hear and make them feel good and happy, and we all leave smiling, and we feel good about ourselves, and that, that's good. And then on the other side, um, there's the temptation uh, to um, just say, well, here's what God says, and I'm going to tear you down with it and make you feel horrible, um, because you need to feel horrible, you horrible people. Um, and so, and I think any of you who have been to, to churches probably have seen kind of both of these extremes, 
um, where you go to one and you kind of walk away feeling like, well, I feel good about myself, but I don't really know that that really helped me that much, right? And you go to the other and you're like, well, that's hopeless, right? Like now I'm just beat up and bewildered. Um, and so as a pastor, that's, that's a struggle for us because um, I want to speak the truth to you. I want you to know what God's Word says, um, but also I, I, I don't want to, to just offend. So that's, that's not my purpose. It's just to be here to offend and to hurt. Um, and so uh, I, I just want to throw that out there. And and that's true for all of us as we take the truth into our community, into our families, into our culture. Um, as we go and speak the truth, how do we do so? And I think one key verse on that is to speak the truth in love, um, is what Paul says, to speak the truth in love. And so um, that's what I want to do as a pastor, um, is speak the truth in love to you, out of love for you and love for your, your life and your well-being and who you are and seeing you do well in your relationship with God and your walk with Him. Like, I want to speak the truth to you, but it's out of that loving relationship um, that I want to do that. Um, instead of uh, just bashing you over the head with it or sugarcoating it and not speaking it at all, right? And the fact is that just like these guys here, um, that the truth can hurt, but it's exactly what we need. So though the truth may hurt, it is exactly what we need. We need the truth spoken into our lives. And sometimes we don't like it. Sometimes it rubs us wrong. Sometimes we, we read what Jesus says and we say, Jesus, you offend me too by these things. You insult me too by what you're saying here. And the point is not just for you to feel good, but the point is for you to follow God and to know what he's speaking into your life and that relationship with him. And so sometimes the truth will hurt and sometimes the truth will insult you. And so the, the question we're going to be looking at today as we, as we walk through what he, he goes on to say unto these guys, um, our end point for today that we're getting to is how do we respond to that truth? What do we do with it? How do we react? And we'll see how these guys react. And then let's question how do we react? And I think it's fitting here. We, we, you know, one thing about written text is you don't really know the manner in which Jesus said these things, right? So we don't know if he's like screaming at them or if he's like gently, lovingly talking to them. But I think one key is the fact that he starts each of his rebukes, and he did this with the Pharisees as well, is he starts with woe to you. And he's just saying woe to you. This, this is a warning. Look out. I'm concerned about you because of this. So I, I think the way that I read it, I read it that Jesus is doing this out of that place of love and care for these people. He's not doing it, um, he's, what he's saying, I don't think he's saying out of hatred. I don't think he's saying it. Um, there might be a little bit of anger there because of what these people have done to everyone else. Um, but I think even in that anger, I think he still has love and concern for these people um, through which he is warning them. So let's, let's move on. Let's look at the first woe. Verse 46, and he, said to, to the, and he said, Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. 
And so he's saying, all right, you set up all these laws and rules and everything, and you heap them on the people, and it's this huge burden, too heavy for anyone to bear. You know, just the imagery of trying to carry too much, and you just can't do it. It's just impossible. Well, that's what they've done with God's word, is they've, they've made it into this thing where they're heaping more and more and more and more and more on people where they can't do it. And Jesus even says, and you yourselves don't even touch it. He's saying, you're not even carrying the burden. You're walking around telling everybody else, here's what you got to do, and here's how you got to live, and here's everything to make you right with God, but you're not even, you can't even do it yourselves. Like that's, this is how messed up your system is. Woe to you. Warning, this is not good. This is not a good thing. And what they've done is they've taken it and they've, they've done what every other world religion does. Every world religion takes rules and they say, keep these rules. Do this, don't do that. And that's what these religions all, basically any religion you look at boils down to that. Um, and uh, ultimately your goal is to please the higher power whether that's God or Allah um, or um, Krishna or um, Buddha or, or whoever, um, just if you're trying to just please karma so that things go well for you, um, whatever the higher power is, that's, that's basically what you can boil down religions to. And, and so all the world religions, um, you can say it this way, religion is spelled D-O. But biblical Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E, done. Because Jesus did it for us. He lived the perfect life. He was sinless. He did what God required. And he died on a cross paying the punishment for our sin so that it is done. When he was on the cross, he said, it is finished. He said, I've done it. I've made a way for man to be right with God. No longer is it about us trying to, to strive to be good enough to please him. But it's about admitting that, hey, we are sinners. That we have fallen short of his glory. We have messed up. We didn't accomplish the D.O. But he did. And so because of our faith in him, we can be saved. Because he has done it. He has offered forgiveness. He has offered a way to be made right with God. He's offered us freedom. He's offered us freedom to obey him. Right? We don't obey out of any sense of trying to achieve more with him or trying to make ourselves right with God. But we obey out of respect for what he's done for us. Out of love for him. And it's, 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 it's a different thing. So anybody that takes Christianity and starts trying to make it into, well, you've got to do this and not do that in order to be right with God, well, then they've missed it. Because the reality is Jesus did it all. And that's what it all boils down to. That's what our, our faith is in. That's what our hope is in. Not in heaping burdens on people that are too hard to bear. And this is another thing for those that are in leadership in, in Christianity, 
It could be easy to fall into heaping burdens on people without even meaning to. You're like, well, if we love Jesus and what he did for us, then we're going to do this. And so, um, so then they need to do this and they need to do this. And we, we got to heap all this on. And that's not our goal at all. Our goal is to help one another, to follow him, to love him, and to live in, in a relationship with him uh, that is joyful, that is free. There's freedom in Christ, not burdens, not something that's, that's dragging you down, so, not something that's knocking you down, not something that's too heavy. But there's freedom there. And as we, we go on uh, to verse 47, we'll look at the next woe. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Now, as you read um, the Bible, especially the Old Testament, um, and then when you get into what happened with, with the apostles, with Jesus' disciples, um, even what happened with Jesus, uh, the call to be a prophet of God was not um, a good livelihood and an easy life. Right? Like, if you read about the things that happened to these guys, it was, it was pretty horrible. Um, a lot of death, a lot of killing. And what Jesus is saying here is hey, from the beginning of time, from Abel, so Abel was the son of Cain, I mean, not the son, of uh, Adam and Eve, um, and he was killed uh, by his brother Cain. Um, and so, you know, the very first children in the world, and one of them kills the other. Why? Uh, when we read the motive, it really sounds like it was because uh, Abel gave a sacrifice that was pleasing to God, which means that he was in a good relationship with God and was honoring God and was speaking truth into his, his culture, which his culture was pretty much his family, because that's who was there. And his culture didn't like it. So Cain wasn't happy about it. So he killed him. And that's from the start. And then you move on through time, and that's what constantly keeps happening. God sends a messenger to proclaim the truth to his people and say, hey, here's a warning. Woe to you. Woe to you. Here's a warning. Here's how you're living. Here's what's going on. And it's not pleasing to me. And you need to have a correction. You need to repent. You need to turn from that. You need to stop. Keep go you can't keep going down this path. And usually what the people do is say, hmm, we like this path. We don't like your, what, we're, what you're saying. So what we're going to do is we're going to kill you. And so as Derek prayed earlier for parts of our world today where if someone stands up and speaks the truth, saying, I follow Jesus, and Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by him, 
they can be beheaded for that. I don't say that flippantly. I just say that to say that's still the reality. In the same way that all through the Old Testament, all through the New Testament, people who stood up for God and said, here's what God says, here's the truth, people are offended by that truth. They say that truth insults us. We don't like that truth. And so we will kill you. And that's even what they end up doing here with Jesus. Jesus is another thing to think about is all these prophets he's referring to. You know what their overall message was? Their overall message was pointing forward to him. The fact that Jesus is coming. He's going to be awesome. He's going to do great things for us. That was their message. The apostles after him are pointing back saying, look what Jesus did. Look what Jesus did for you. You can be forgiven too. You can be made right with God too. Here's a free offer. It's free. Do you want it? It's right here. Will you take it? And that's so offensive to those who are perishing that they want to kill people for it just for saying it. It's like, I don't like what you say, so I'm going to get rid of you. And somehow that's going to make the truth not truth? Well, no. Absolutely not. You see, getting rid of the messenger does not negate the message. Just because you get rid of the messenger doesn't make the truth any less true. Think about this with a doctor, right? And this kind of goes into what we were talking about earlier with the different approaches to, the, to, to conveying truth. So do you want a doctor who tells you the truth... Um, and it insults you by it? Or do you want a doctor uh, with a really good bedside manner who might lie to you? Neither. You want one in the middle, right? You want one that's going to speak the truth to you, but do so in a loving way, right? And just because a doctor says, hey, you know, you've got a little too much weight on and you're in trouble of getting into diabetes or something, right? Well, I don't like what he said. I'm therefore going to go to another doctor and see what she says. Because I like her more. She's nicer. She won't say that to me. Does that make the truth any less true? No. Just because you get rid of the messenger does not negate the message. The truth is the truth. Um, Paul was, was dealing with some of this over in, uh, in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 1... Um, he talks about how these reasons why people who are insulted by the truth respond the way that they do. In 1 Corinthians 1, he says this, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preached to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men 
and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts Boast in the Lord. And Paul's saying, he's like, hey, the stuff that we say to the worldly mind sounds like it's crazy. Sounds like it's foolish. I stand up and say that I believe that God created the world in seven days. To, To everybody else that says, that sounds foolish. Right? We know that it happened through all of these processes over billions and billions of years. And I say, my God's bigger than that. He spoke it into being. He spoke and there it was. That's how powerful he is. And I sound foolish to other people because I might say something like that. And to others, it sounds even more foolish that I can say, I believe that a man 2,000 years ago was hung on a cross and died and then he came back from the dead and other people hear that and they say that's foolish that's crazy why would you base your life on that why would you let that have any sway over you that's something that happened a long time ago what does that have to do with you I'll tell you what it has to do with me I know him I know him he's alive and well and he has made promises that he is good to keep. And he's promised that I will be made right with God because of my faith in him. That when I stand before judgment, God will, will welcome me in to his presence based on the fact that I believe in his son and what his son did for me. And I also believe that that truth is true for everyone. That that is a free offer of grace that is offered to everyone. It's offered to you and to me. It's offered to everyone in our community, um, everyone in our culture. And so, will, will everyone like it? No. When you go to people in your life who don't believe that, and you speak to them about it, they probably won't like it. When we send missionaries to other parts of the world, they literally put their lives on the line to go and share that truth with people who might kill them because of that truth. One young man that um, I had the pleasure of him being in my youth group when I was a youth pastor, when he graduated university, he went to one of those countries. And uh, I'll never forget, before he went, he preached a sermon at our, our church we were at down south. And, and uh he preached a sermon that basically you could have recorded and replayed for his funeral um, if he were killed in another country. 
because he said, I'm going willing to lay down my life. I know the cost, I know the price, I know what's at stake, but I know the truth. And the truth is worth it. And, and God has called me to take the truth to these people. And he went. Thankfully, he has not been killed. Thankfully, he's still alive and well and serving the Lord and doing good things. And so, we need to remember to pray for those that have the boldness that God has called to go into those dangerous places. And so, that's why I'm so grateful that, that Derek will constantly keep that in front of us. Um, and, and the things that uh, are going on in, in other parts of the world where it is dangerous to speak the truth. Because people don't like it. They're insulted by it. And so they respond differently to it. Let's move on to our last woe. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. And so he's saying here, not only have you heaped all of these burdens on people, but you have put yourself in charge of God's word and his truth, and you're prohibiting others from even getting to it from even getting to the truth because you've heaped all this other stuff on them. They can't even get to see what God really says. He says, woe to you for that. You can't do that. You can't take it and, and throw all this other on it and not let people get to it. And we say, yeah, that was very bad of them. We can sit in judgment on them. But then I, I ask myself, have I hindered anyone from coming to the truth? Either by something I've said or by something I've done, the way I've reflected on Christ. See, this is where that obedience thing really comes in. Because if I'm not following Christ as I should and I'm saying that I am, then that's speaking volumes to those around me. And I don't want it to be said of me or my life that what I did hindered anyone else from coming to the truth because the truth is that important. And so I, I, I pray, Lord, anything that I do where I still sin, where I still mess up, if, if that's around someone who doesn't know you yet, please just blot it out of their memory. Don't let my imperfections hold someone else back from coming to faith, from coming to the truth, from coming to a relationship with you. And so, like I said from the start, we want to see what is the response to the truth. We ask, what's the response in our lives? We can see what their response is here. You would hope they would say, oh, Jesus, please forgive us. You're right. We have messed up. We have done wrong. Please, please forgive us. Instead, as he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something that he might say. So instead of saying, you're right, this is the truth, we need to be forgiven, they say, how can we disprove this guy? How can we trip him up? 
How can we work against him? And this kind of thought process snowballs to the point where they say, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And even as they are screaming, crucify him, and they are celebrating as he is hung on a cross, Jesus lovingly looks down at them and prays, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And that's the kind of love that he had for these people. These people that are so corrupt, so messed up. That's the kind of love he has for us. And that's why he did it. And so what's your response? What's your response to the good news? Do you believe? Do you base your life on it? Are you trying to be that beacon of truth to others? To show them the truth that you have come to know? I hope so. I love the the location of our new building here. Because it's so central uh, for West Kelowna and West Bank. And uh, this week I was uh, sitting here in my office and uh, had the blinds open. I'm just watching all the cars go by. And you think, well, that could get kind of annoying, right? Like you're right on the highway. There's cars all the time. And I'll tell you, the cars don't stop. Like every time I've been in my office, the cars are still going. Just more and more cars. I just sit here and think about who are the people in those cars? Do they know the truth? They're driving right past this place where we proclaim it every Sunday. But do they know it? Do they have the hope that we have? And if not, what can we do to get it to them? What can we do to convey that truth to our world, to our community? It might insult them, but it's more important that they hear it. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I do pray that you will use our church as a beacon of light, as a beacon of truth. Um, I thank you for all of those who are gathered here today. And uh, Lord, I just I pray that if anyone in here does, does not yet know you as the truth, as the way, the truth, and the life, that they might come to, to faith today that maybe right now they might cry out to you and say, yes, Lord, this is true. And God, I pray that you will uh, do what you do in being faithful to restore them to yourself, uh, to offer them forgiveness and sanctification and and all of that justification, all um, through your word, through what you've promised us. We thank you for that. For those of us here who do know you, Lord, I pray that you will guide us. I pray that you will help us to not be a stumbling block to anyone else. That though your truth may be offensive, I pray that we will not be offensive. That any offense that is caused on a person, I pray, comes from you and you shining the truth into their life and how that um, affects them. Let us not be the one that offends, but let your word, with it being the purpose of drawing them to the truth and to yourself, that they might humble themselves and see the need they have for a Savior. Lord, work through us. Work through us as a church. Work through us as individuals to make an impact for you and your kingdom here in this place. I pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.